the inaugural issue of the New Thinking Aloud magazine was just released on March 1st. You can download a free PDF copy from the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. No, hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. He's not the real Jeffrey Mishlove. I am. <laughs> I've got to start over. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove, and today I'd like to share with you some thoughts about the topic of initiation, spiritual initiation. And let me introduce myself, too. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove's alter ego, or you might say Jeffrey's dialogue partner, his conversation partner. I can refer to Jeffrey in the third person or the first person, and maybe there's something in that that is also a reflection of you yourself. With regard to the topic of initiation, I think it's fair to say that there are two schools of thought. There's the traditionalist school, which maintains that initiation comes to you at the um, grace and a benefit of a teacher, a guru, a wise one, a person who lifts you up from your present state of uh, illusion or delusion or languish and brings you to a higher state. And uh, you do that through a process of uh, deep study and commitment and, and obedience. There's a lot to be said for that school of thought. Uh, many great gurus talk about how grateful they are to their own guru, to their own teacher. But the other school of thought regarding initiation is the one that I tend to favor, probably more by accident than by purpose or maybe by destiny or, or fate. And I think it's best expressed in a conversation I had with a, a man who was a mentor, not really a guru, but a mentor to me, a very important mentor. And I'm referring to Arthur M. Young the inventor of the bell helicopter. Well, that says something by itself right there. The man who invented the first commercially licensed helicopter and then became a deep student of metaphysics, uh, founded the Institute of for the Study of Consciousness, moved to Berkeley, established a, a center for the Institute for the Study of Consciousness in Berkeley, and in 1973 invited me and my good friend Saul Paul Sarag to move in to the Institute, simply as a residence, not with any uh, incumbent necessity that we become his students, although we were uh, actually happy to become his students at the time. And I remember vividly one day when Arthur came to me and he said, what do you think the virgin birth means? Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? 
And uh, it's not a topic to which I'd ever given much thought, being Jewish. But uh, I, I, it scratched my head. I didn't have an answer. And he said to me, the reason is because Jesus had to give birth to himself. He said, and that's the key to all real spiritual growth. You have to give birth to yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. Now, in a sense, I think that has been my pattern. Uh, and and the, what I mean by in a sense is, for example, I went on to pursue a unique doctoral diploma in parapsychology. It's been now 43 years since I was awarded that diploma from the University of California at Berkeley. And to my knowledge, neither before nor since has Anybody received a doctoral diploma, a piece of parchment, so to speak, that says parapsychology on it as the field of endeavor from an accredited university, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, anywhere in the world. So, you could say that's an example of giving birth to yourself. But let's be clear, I did have teachers. I had uh, on my committee at the time, Charlie Tart, still regarded as one of America's great parapsychologists. Michael Scriven, a professional philosopher who has thought deeply and written deeply about parapsychology. C. West Churchman, a professor of business who also had published in the field of parapsychology. James Harder, who was not so much a parapsychologist, but he was at the time one of the country's leading UFO researchers. He was at the time the research director for APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, no longer in existence, but it was an important organization in its day. And I had one other faculty member, Diane Clements. Well, she was a historian, but uh, among her other pursuits, she read palms and uh, had a deep feeling for intuition. So, you know, these people were my teachers, they were my mentors, but they couldn't really fully initiate me as a parapsychologist. I designed the program. I had a unique sense of the direction of uh, the definition of parapsychology. So, in a very important sense, I initiated myself into parapsychology. A fact, incidentally, that wasn't always appreciated by other people in the parapsychology community. And I'm not going to go into my struggles to uh, establish myself, but let me just say there were struggles. It wasn't necessarily easy. So, that's one path where you initiate yourself. But I'm not really getting yet at the essence of what I mean by initiation. And I'm going to give you another personal story to try and dig deeper into what it means. Now, I've talked about dream experiences and how my life was guided by dreams. For example, after I had the most powerful dream of my life, in which my great uncle Harry appeared to me at the moment of his death, 
And I woke up from that dream crying, tears of joy and singing one of the most sacred songs from my religious background of Judaism. I could have let matters rest right there. It was an initiation of sorts. Uncle Harry, bless his soul, introduced me to the sacred incredibly beautiful, in this case, moment of death. And I could have let it sit there, but I didn't. I took some ownership at that point in my life. I basically said to myself, I'm going to learn from this lesson. This experience was so powerful that it's worth my time and effort to devote my life to understanding it better. And in order to do that, I realized I had to switch out of the academic program I was in in criminology, studying criminals, working as a volunteer at the psychiatric unit of San Quentin Prison, conducting group therapy sessions with murderers and rapists, as insightful and revealing as that experience was, I came to understand that if I'm going to own the experience that I had with my Uncle Harry in a dream, I was going to need to shift from the study of negative forms of human deviance to the study of positive forms. And so, I took it upon myself to find a way to do that. And as a result, I struggled for months because it wasn't an easy thing. Nobody was going to hand me on a silver platter a career focusing on the higher aspects of human nature, psychic functioning, mysticism, intuition, and creativity. Many people would like to have a career uh, of that sort handed to them. I hear from such people. And there are some opportunities. I think there are more opportunities today than there were when I was a student. But I had to pursue it. And because I made that decision that uh, I think of it today, in those days, I didn't have these words. But today, I would say I made the decision to become the best version of myself that were invisible helpers. And that's the point I want to get to right now. What are these invisible helpers? Dreams? Promptings? Intuitions? Knowings? Now, in my case, after months of struggle, I had a dream and I knew, I knew before I even had the dream that I was going to have such a dream, a dream that would guide me to the career that would ultimately be my destiny. And I had a strange dream. I was visiting friends in Berkeley. I knocked on their uh, door, their apartment and married student housing. They weren't home. I, in the dream, I let myself into their apartment. I found a key and found a magazine on the living room floor uh, and woke up with this feeling of exhilaration. But then I had to own it. I had to initiate myself. It wasn't enough to have the dream. I had to put on my tennis shoes, run five miles across Berkeley, knock on the door of their apartment, 
and discover, as uh, in the dream, that no one was home, take a key that I knew they hid under the doormat, let myself into the apartment, and discover the actual magazine that I had dreamt about. It was called Focus, whereas in my dream it was called I-E-Y-E. But the point I'm making is, once again, I took ownership of what that dream meant. Now, you might think at this point that I'm just tooting my own horn. I did this. I did that. I took ownership. I initiated myself. I'm a hotshot. No, my point is simply this. It's one way for you to grow spiritually is to take ownership of your own initiations. It's not the only way, but actually I would say this. No initiation is complete until you take ownership of it. And, and I'll give you an example of this. I interviewed Houston Smith many times while he was alive, a great scholar of uh, religions, the author of the world's religions, the classic textbook. And Houston had been a professor, as I recall it, MIT, in the uh, circle of people that included Richard Alpert and Timothy Leary and the early pioneers of psychedelics. And being a scholar of mysticism, he was very interested in the relationship between psychedelic experience and mystical experience. So, he conducted an experiment. What Houston did is he took the statements from people under psychedelics of what their experience was like and he wrote them out on three by five cards. And he took the statements of the great mystics of religious history, the great saints, about their mystical experiences, and he wrote them out on three by five cards. And then he invited a group of graduate students in philosophy and religious study, probably some uh, faculty as well, to read through the cards and see if they were capable of sorting them to determine which of the experiences were from the authentic, verified mystics of world history and which were from psychedelic users, probably in Cambridge at, at the time. And what he discovered was that they couldn't tell the difference. The mystical experiences were almost identical to the psychedelic experiences, so close that people who were uh, skilled and knowledgeable in these areas couldn't separate them into two distinct piles. However, there was a difference. And this is what I think has to do with self-initiation. It's not enough just to have a mystical experience. The saints, as compared to the psychedelic users, made major contributions to society. They founded schools of thought. They did work in the world. They founded monasteries. They became influential people in what they, uh, what their ambitions were, and largely in terms of opening up more and more people to the kinds of experiences that they had. 
Now, it's certainly true that people who, who have taken psychedelics from time to time do as much. I can tell you this, that psychedelic use early in my life was a very important preparation for the ultimate decisions that I made to devote my whole life to the study of consciousness. But that's what it takes. It takes commitment. It takes a willingness to own the experience and make it central in your life, a mystical experience, for example, to say, I'm going to live out the insights that this experience has provided for me. So, even though you might be initiated by a drug, and it can happen for sure, that's not enough. You have to own the implications of that experience for the initiation to become complete. I've talked about dreams. I've talked about inner promptings. I've talked about drug use. I've talked about teachers, mentors, and gurus. But I'd like to propose at this time that we are being initiated all the time, every moment of our lives. It has to do with the topic of my previous monologue, my previous in-presence monologue about thinking versus intuition. The point that I made there is that we never have a single thought, a sensation, or a feeling that doesn't have intuition at its very basis. Pure intuition, which is very rare. It's not as if it bubbles up readily to the surface of our consciousness. I compared pure intuition to the discovery of radium by Pierre and Marie Curie, where they started out with several tons of uranium ore, pitch blend, and out of that were able to isolate one-tenth of a gram of pure radium. Now, intuition might be like that, true spiritual contact. I think it is rare. I think it's encumbered by all of the influences of embodied life, all the urges of our body, all the promptings of our culture, of our family, of our country, and the necessities of uh, creating balance on the planet, amongst other things. But every moment of our lives, these promptings are there, that still small voice that you might say could be always correct, always full of perfect wisdom, if only we could grasp it, if only we could apprehend it, if only we could own it. And owning it, however difficult, is what I mean by initiating yourself. It's not easy. Rudolf Steiner, the Austrian mystic, talked about initiation, spiritual initiation, and he said that in order to achieve spiritual initiation, you have to confront what he called the guardian of the threshold. He said there are two. There's the greater guardian and the lesser guardian of the threshold. And he described the guardians of the threshold as some of the ugliest, most awful beings you could ever imagine. Now, I've come to understand, and I may be wrong, I'm sure there will be people who will disagree with me, but my thinking about it is that the guardians of the threshold are nothing else than your own shadow. 
the dark parts of your own nature that you're unwilling to accept or recognize or deal with. Those need to be confronted, and that's another form of self-initiation. You can't, no one can do it for you. You're the one who has to look in the mirror and take an honest inventory of yourself. That's part of what it means to be initiated in a spiritual sense. I want to give credit to one other person when it comes to this idea of uh, being willing to initiate yourself, and that's Emmy Vatness, who is now the co-host of New Thinking Aloud and has been so for over a year. After I won the Bigelow competition, I realized I was going to take on a few other projects and I wanted to keep this channel active and operating. So, I asked for a few volunteers and Emmy stepped up to the plate and said she'd give it a try. And I've been coaching her and helping her. But you see, Emmy has taken ownership of it. And I see her doing things uh, way beyond anything that I might have ever instructed her in. She's allowing her own gifts to shine, and she is now uh, owning for herself that position, a co-host of the New Thinking Aloud channel. I would say, in uh, my humble opinion, Emmy is initiating herself in that regard. I think she's a shining example. And so, I'd like to leave you with this thought. What are the ways in which you might initiate yourself into a newer realm of being, into becoming the best version of yourself? How can you do that? I'll leave you with that thought, and I want to thank you for being with me, and thank you for being with us. Thank you.